Hello, and welcome to another episode of Don't Fuck With The Original. I'm your host, Casper. And I am your host, Becky Gremlin. I didn't know we were doing accents. I didn't either. It just kind of happened. <laughs> Don't fuck with the original. Here to Continue. <laughs> Here to bring you all things spooky on Wednesdays because... Wednesdays are always for podcast. That was awful. <laughs> Holy <laughs> shit, Eliza. <laughs> Holy shit, Eliza. All right. If anybody knows what that's from, <laughs> we love you automatically. If you don't know what it's from, you never will. Nope. Mm-mm. So, um, today, I'm sorry, I don't know what came over me, but I was like, it's time to be British. That was amazing. I actually um, love that. It was so <laughs> like, impromptu. hello, don't fuck with the original. It was so impromptu. It was. I'm very impromptu. Impromptu. Very impromptu. Today we are going over um, Danvers State Hospital, and I apologize if I call it Danvers State University because it has happened multiple times because every time I say state, university comes out, and honestly I think it's just part of being an Ohioan because Ohio State University is just a thing. Always. Well, and there's a lot of other colleges that do that. State too. University. Like Indiana State or <laughs> Illinois State. You know, you're just automatically like, okay, wait. Because no, my roommate sorry. was like, oh, what's your podcast on this week? And I was like, Danvers State University. And then she looked at me and I was like, no. <laughs> I was like, that's. No, it's not. That's not what it's about. She was like, what's going on at Danvers? Where is that? And I was like, it's a hospital for the insane, not a university. It's okay. <laughs> Waverly Place! <laughs> right? <laughs> so, today we are going over Danvers State Hospital, which, if you guys don't know, is a hospital that is located in Danvers, Massachusetts. It was used as an insane asylum back in, uh, starting in 1878, and went for a few years before now becoming a apartment complex, because that's what you do. I guess. <laughs> it's what you do with old abandoned asylums. You turn them into high-rise, high-cost apartments. With the cheapest starting at $938. Whatevs. You know. But it's really cool because me and Becky have actually been here. Uh, we went here when we went to Massachusetts. We literally were staying in a, ho- a motel five, six, seven minutes away from it. And uh, we went and visited it. And it was very eerie. <laughs> well, to say the least. Yeah, so, um... Well, it's interesting that, uh, that area, and we actually end up finding out there that Danvers, uh, Danvers, Peabody, and Salem were at one time all a part of Salem Village, which was, uh, its official name until 1752. So even back, like, when we did our episode about the Salem Witch Trials in 1692 of Salem... Um, that all of that encompassed was called Salem Village at one time, but then afterwards it was all broken up into the various little communities, but they're all within like a block of each other. There's like Salem, then Peabody, and then Danvers. So, um, yeah, and Danvers is kind of this area that you know, sort of like if you listen to our Bobby Mackey episode where we were talking about how even from the start, the land was sort of just doomed to begin with. Um, to give a little bit of history, it was built on Hawthorne Hill. And if you guys listen to 
our witch trial episode, our Salem witch trial episode, you'll know that Hawthorne was the name of the judge, uh, John Hawthorne, that uh, he presided over the Salem witch trials. So it's um, like, why would you choose a hill like that for a mental asylum <coughs> to build a mental asylum on from that's already kind of tainted to begin with? You already kind of have a... Eh, I understand probably why they did it more because it was out in the country. It was a beautiful area. I get that part of it, but I'm like, it's kind of already tainted with the fact that it was owned by somebody who had such an awful history. I mean, literally such an awful history to the point that his descendants even changed the spelling and the enunciation of the name. You know, Nathaniel Hawthorne is a descendant of Hawthorne. Mm-hmm. Uh, who wrote, you know, The House of Seven Gables and, and Scarlet Letter and whatnot that we spoke about. Uh, so, They were like, yeah. nah, bitch, I don't want nothing to do with you. <laughs> well, I mean, think about our Bobby Mackey episode that we talked about. Why in God's name you build a slaughterhouse on top of land where Indians were slaughtered and then you build a bar on top of where Indians and animals were slaughtered. Oh, yeah, let's just it's keep like that, that going. Meme. Have you seen that meme where there's these people at a... Uh, uh, table basically having um a meeting and one of them's like they all say their ideas and one of them goes hey we should build the bar on a slaughter on slaughter land and then somebody else goes nah you know actually i feel like we should build the bar on this safe land and then they kick him out and then they're like slaughter land like <laughs> that's what i'm seeing no, I- <laughs> that. That's hilarious. Like, obviously, it's not that particular meme, but it's a meme where, like, the person who has the good idea gets thrown out the window while the person who has the stupid idea gets what they want. I just feel so like... So it, it, it doesn't make sense to me. I just feel like if you didn't learn anything from Poltergeist, you learned nothing. Well, some <laughs> people don't know who John Carpenter is, so we have that. <laughs> right. <laughs> if, if you don't know who John Carpenter is, that. I'm pretty sure you haven't seen Poltergeist. We have all of that. <laughs> But yeah, so to get into a little bit of history about uh, Danvers State Hospital, so it's funny that you mentioned the land itself. So you, of course, would think, why in the world would we want anything built tied to Judge Hathorne? Well, so according to a book written by a physician named uh, Dr. Thomas Kirkbride, he um, was an advocate for mental health, and he created an institutional model for mental health hospitals in the 19th century called the Kirkbride Plan. So the location and the surroundings of a hospital, according to Dr. Kirkbride, were the essentials to the success of patients with mental health. Um, This is a quote directly from his book where he states, it is now well established that this class of hospitals should always be located in the country, not within less than two miles of a town of considerable size, and they should be easily accessible at all seasons. They should, if possible, be near turnpikes or other good roads, or on the line of a railroad. While two or three farms from a town might be named as a good distance on the former, the facilities afforded by a railroad might make 10 or 12 miles unobjectionable. The building should be in a healthful, pleasant, and fertile district of the country, while the hospital itself should be retired and its privacy fully secured and is desirable that the views from it should exhibit life and its active forms, and on this account, stirring objects at a little distance are desirable. 
So he goes on to say that hospitals require at least 100 acres of land necessary for farming, as well as privacy, exercise, labor. Um, it's for patients that are now recognized amongst the most valuable means of treatment. So he basically is stating that anywhere that's located on a farm with fresh air that's also accessible to a railroad and a main road um, is going to be the best source of treatment, not only for patients, but even for people that work there, because ultimately you want grounds that are self-sustainable. And they had, that's why exactly they had the underground tunnels because they wanted to, they wanted a place that could be able to sustain itself even during the winter. They didn't want people to go outside during the winter to freeze. So they had all these underground tunnels. So they were able to get the necessary, necessary things that they would need um, without basically freezing their asses off and going outside. They could just stay underground. Well, and again, like we mentioned, too, where he states that it'd be located near a main city. Salem is right around the corner. And Boston's not really, that not far that away. Far. It's like mm -hmm. less than an hour, maybe 45 minutes at the most. So um, you've got this very scenic countryside. And ultimately, the land was actually purchased by a farmer uh, named Francis Dodge. He was a Civil War veteran. So um, in the 1800s, he ended up owning the land after um, it was sold from uh, Judge Hawthorne after the 1700s. And this guy was a Civil War veteran, of all things. So, um, kind of makes you wonder why he bought it, though. Because he didn't really do anything with it. He just had it. So, it kind of makes you wonder, like, why? Because you wanted it? Pretty why countryside? Like, why, why did yeah, you, were things. you planning on, like, actually farming? Because you really didn't do anything with it, which is probably why he sold it. Yeah, it's a, it's, <clears throat> the hill that it was on was 257 feet. That was actually how many, like, that was how big of an area that ended up being bought. Uh, it was a 200, 257 feet high glacier drumland, and it was a 200 acre farm. And at the time, they sold it for uh, almost $40,000. No wonder. That right there tells me why he bought it. It was money. It was for profit. Yeah. Because he sold it. Almost well, $40,000 at that time? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That would, what is that? that? Would be probably like now. 10 times now? Probably like four. <laughs> think me. about it. 200 acres? That's probably like a good $4 million. Mm -hmm. Easy. I would. Yeah. Because the cost of the actual hospital was 1.5 million. So you have to think when they bought the land from him in order to build it for 1.5 million, like, oh my God, these people were fucking rich. So, because 1.5 million back in 1874, think about that. Oh my God. Could you imagine what this 1. guy thought? 1.5 million. Because if you think, think about it in the aspects of the Bordens. Because we actually had like, what, when he was, Mr. Borden was worth, I forget how much it was, but it ended up being like $6 million now. Right. And it was like so many hundred thousand dollars then. Yeah. So $1.5 million then was probably billions. Now. Yeah. Now. Yeah. For sure. So that makes sense. You've got this guy on this, a Civil War veteran on 200 acres of land. And they offer him this kind of money. He's like, oh, sure. He's like, by all means. <laughs> Here, go run on ahead and take it. 
Um, so it actually was um, an architect named Nathaniel Bradley, who was from Bro- Boston. Good Jesus. <laughs> and it go. starts. And it starts. She's been with me too long, guys. Because oh you guys God. know, if, you, if you've been listening to these podcasts from the beginning, you know this is my issue. So. We're just like random words get smushed together. And I'm like, Boston. What was the R oh from? Oh, my God. I don't know. I don't even know. I literally have no Bradley. idea where the okay, Nathaniel Bradley. You You're yeah. like Boston. <laughs> the words were too close together, and my throat's too damn dry. Good Nathaniel Jesus. Bradley from Boston. Yeah, Bradley from Boston. Okay, that totally makes sense, right? It does. So it's very much a Gothic style building. If you guys saw the pictures that we posted on social media um, then and even now. It's a very gothic style at the time. Um, It was built from locally sourced uh, Danvers brick, which is red, um, and it took four years to complete. At the time, it was built at a cost of $1.5 million in that time. And so this was also during a time where we were still recovering... Guys, 1874, this is not long after the Civil War. That was in, like, you know, 1850s, 1860s. So you're talking less than 20 years right after. And I don't know if a lot of this... Now, a lot of this, I couldn't get information about if most of this came from state funds. You know, because the more research I did into this, too, and, and Casper and I talked a little bit about this prior to recording about hospitals during this time. So there are a lot of mental asylums during this time in the 1800s that were built in similar ways with this Kirkbride style of being these big open air asylums in the middle of fields, self-sustaining near a main road in a main town. And uh, they they were supposed to be ultimately for rehabilitation, because at the time, there was really no way to classify what what was mental illness. You know, you could have people that were criminally insane. You could have people that had addiction issues. You could have people that have just uh, what, what we deem as like regular old depression or anxiety now that were all sort of lumped together So there was really no way of knowing how to help these people except to kind of give them all the same treatment. So it was sort of thought to make them member, you know, normal, quote unquote, members of society. Of course, they were sort of separated off by genders and whatnot of that nature. But there was really no way of classifying what was what, where some of these people could have really been deemed normal and sent back. They were sort of housed with other people that probably never should have left these hospitals. So um, they were all sort of built in kind of a similar way and uh, usually state funded because around this time in the 1800s, there was just this real big surgence of, of mental illness mm-hmm. where the state where states didn't know what to do with these patients. I mean, there's there's the Pennhurst Asylum. There's asylums in New York, Trans-Algheny Lunatic Asylum. So there's ones there's real prominent ones that a lot of people know of that are in Pennsylvania, New York, Virginia, areas like that, that are all kind of have similar stories that were built in, in similar fashions to this one. Um, it was also nicknamed the castle on the hill 
by locals. It stood uh, 1,100 feet, or I'm sorry, it was 1,100 feet in length, and it was um, over 313,000 feet in size, and it sort of resembled a bat. Yep. If you, if you guys see it from, look, look up a picture of it from this, from the aerial view. It does. It looks like a bat. It's just like a bat. It's so cool. The wings and like this, branch this building off and... was so beautiful. Oh, yeah. it really was. Castle. It definitely Absolutely looked, like a castle. looked like a castle. It was gorgeous. Especially if you have a heart for older looking buildings like that. God. Like, well, and you kind of, again, you want to instill, you know, you don't want someone... If you're mentally ill, you want to have a building that looks appealing, I guess, not only to the patient, but to the family and even people that are going to work there. Right. So. You want it to scream, I'm beautiful, not bleh. Right. <laughs> Just because it was bleh. supposed to cure people. Right. Because that was the main intention. Ultimately. It was supposed to yeah. act, like help people to where they could literally leave. <clears throat> they wouldn't have to stay there. They were They were hoping to help people so they could come in, get the treatment they needed, and walk out. Not the shit that actually went down. It was built with a laundry building, a service building, a pump house, a power plant, a storage barn, um, a male and a female nurse's home, several cottages, a farm hall, a hay barn, a medical building, a chapel, um, two chapels, actually, a water tower, um... And then again, like uh, Casper mentioned, an elaborate labyrinth of uh, underground tunnels that connected to all of the buildings so that patients and uh, workers could pass through during the winter time without freezing, without having to go outside. So, And it was originally supposed to house uh, 500 patients with attic space for potentially 100 more but then it started getting overcrowded. So it was originally, it was originally supposed to house just up to like 600 people maximum. Right. That was, that was it. It was just supposed to do that because they had about 125 workers. And that's, that seems pretty, pretty logical to have about five to 600 people with 125 workers. You feel like you can get the right care for those. Oh yeah. You've got enough. You've got enough. Per person. So, you know, one or two, maybe three at the most people per one attendant, you know, you would think that you would think, okay, well, I've got that pretty well covered. Because you could easily help those people daily. If you've got two to three people a day, you could easily do that. Spend a few hours each with them. And uh, the very first, I'll uh, say here that the very first patient was admitted on May 13th of 1878. Um, the original hospital was actually called Danvers Lunatic Hospital. Um, it was later changed around the turn of the century to Danvers Insane Hospital. And then in 1909, it set on the name of Danvers State Hospital. Um, but originally, like we said, hospital administrators refused to use any type of physical restraints and emphasized uh, curing patients rather than merely hiding them. You know, they involved exercise, gardening, um, kept them busy in the kitchen. Um, it was stated though, that in 1886 with the construction of a criminally insane hospital built in Bridgewater, Massachusetts, there was an influx of unwanted criminals into the area. 
So they were sort of dealing with that as far as patient population. So this wasn't even 10 years after they opened that they were starting to sort of get overcrowded already because of these criminals that were coming into the town. Um, well, Boston, I'm sorry. Well, Boston, Boston, right. <laughs> and then again, here's another thing I mentioned about mental, about uh, not mental, I'm sorry, addictions. So they said there was another difficult group to treat uh, back then. What, was called substance abuse was known as intemperance or dipsomania. These were 19th century terms for substance abuse or alcoholism. Um, and then you also had uh, patients that were considered uh, mentally handicapped to mix in with all the general psychiatric population. So it wasn't until 1980 that they were moved <clears throat> to separate units. So again, like I said, at this time, they had no idea how to separate these groups of people in the late 1800s to early 1900s. So it literally went on for a hundred years that they had people with substance abuse mixed in with criminally insane, mixed in with people that were mentally handicapped altogether. Um, so like I said, by the early 18, 1880s, not even open 10 years that all overcrowding already became an issue. So at the most where they were supposed to house five to 600 it moved up to 788 patients by 1885. They, uh, one of the annual reports from the trustees of the hospital said, quote, the number of patients was of a considerable time too large. The increase continues to exceed all relief. The crowded condition of the hospital was not provided for the design or the construction. Hadn't even been open 10 years yet. Oh shit! Right? <laughs> like, oh, oh god, we're already. God. Well, it's the it's the shitty part is that they were sending criminals to this place when they should have been putting them in jail cells. Because yes, there are criminals out there that are mentally ill. Yeah, absolutely, there are criminals out there that need to be put in ho mental hospitals. But yes, I guarantee not all of them. They actually been in should there. be in. Prison. They should have been in prison. Right. And then again, this other mental hospital for the criminally insane that was built in Bridgewater, Massachusetts, who knew if they started to become overcrowded? Right. The same exact thing, because like I said, this became a running trend with a lot of mental asylums around the entire country, not just Danvers, where they started to become grossly overcrowded and overpopulated, and patient care started to decline because there wasn't enough people to take care of them because there wasn't enough funds. And it wasn't like it was for lack of trying. These no, because they tried. There, yeah. Because they weren't just walking around being like, okay, well, we have shitty conditions. Let's just let it be. No, they were literally like, help. Please help us. There's like 200 of us against... It ended up get, growing up to 2,300 people. Yeah, by, so if we look at the numbers in... 1885, there were 788 patients. By 1901, it grew to 1137. In 1902, the hospital was able to purchase 100 more acres of the farm. And in 1903, they opened up what they called the Middleton Colony, where they were able to house an additional 300 long-term female patients. Um, in 1926, they were able to add an additional 500 beds and another 648 beds the following year in 1927, despite reports of additional overcrowding. Um, so, I mean, it just kept growing. It just kept growing, 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 growing. 
Um, by the 1930s, when there was a new superintendent, Dr. Bonner, it was already suffering severe overcrowding and lack of funding. The number of patients grew to way over, to over 2,000, while the staff was less than 200 people. Uh, so Casper and I were kind of doing the math. If you have 2,000 patients for 200 staff members, you have one person looking after 10 people. So you have going from one person looking after two to one person looking after 10. And you have a mixture between criminally insane, depressed, they're all different. Headed. So this is taking a toll on the workers mm -hmm. because their mental state's going to shit at this point because they could have, their first patient could have just regular anxiety like most of us do. Easier to take care of that patient. Right. And then you hit somebody with bipolar disorder. Okay. A little bit worse than anxiety, but still pretty handleable. Uh, and then you go from that to schizophrenia. Yeah. To, to schizophrenic, to, to actual like to uh, dissociative disorders, to multiple personalities, to yeah, yeah. So their Everything. mental state is at stake at this point. And again, what a lot of you guys need to remember in listening to this is that these words did not exist. There was no such thing as anxiety. There was no such thing as depression. There was no such thing as bipolar. There was no such thing. You were a lunatic. The word retarded was still used. The, yeah, I, so there were no words like what we use now. There was no PC culture. There was none of that. You were either a lunatic, retarded, hysterical, a drunk. Like that was it. And you were all lumped into one and you were all thrown into this asylum. And you were thrown in with workers that were, if they have a lack of funding, you also have to think these workers are getting paid dick. And they're taking care of these people. I mean, it's just, this is, this is, it's a shitstorm. It's just, it's an absolute dumpster fire at that point. So by the 1930s, whereas on one hand, the original Kirkbride plan was to have these people live in sunlight and it's supposed to be rainbows and farming and flowers and everything. So peachy keen and, and great and wonderful. I would make a cake full of rainbows so that we can all share it. She doesn't even go, go here. here. <laughs> Do you go to this school? I just have a lot of feelings. Go home. <laughs> Again, another reference that if you don't get, you're not going to ever know. We can't help you. You um, can't sit with us. Fall for you, Glenn Coco. <laughs> and now for that me. How the fuck did we... Because <laughs> you said sunshine and rainbows, and that always makes me think of that line. Every single fucking time. Oh, I did it today. Somebody said, uh, my friend Danielle. Hi, Danielle. Um, where Your Danielle. My Danielle. Because we have three. Which I never thought would happen. She <laughs> mentioned something about this does not exist, and I was like, the limit does not it's exist. <laughs> the limit does not exist. The limit does not exist. I was like, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, we, we How often we can you quote this movie? This. The limit does not exist. Yeah. To the point where it's like... I could literally quote yeah. the entire film. And again, guys, we have to bring humor when we're talking about such dark Yeah, this matter. is This is like, really... When you sit and really think about what these people went through and you really sit and think about the shit that went down at this hospital, it's sad. It's... Well, it's 
And we walked into this. That's exactly what I was going to say. We literally walked. You know, it's so weird when you sit back as a kid or an early teen, mid teen, and you watch this, these ghost things on TV and you watch history and you see these buildings and then you actually walk into one. It, it's so, it makes everything different. Well, that's what I was going to say. It was two things that really touched me with this story. A, the fact that we actually were there and felt what we felt and felt such a strong energy. And then two, the fact that someone like me back in that time, like I have depression and anxiety and I very well could have been we both could thrown into this place. Oh my God, we could have been friends then. Besties in the asylum. Oh my God, yeah. Would be like girl interrupted. No, oh, that Jesus. Be, yeah, no, that would. Mm-mm. I do I, really like that. Movie. I have a <laughs> God that movie. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's like to think the the original intention of this was to help people, and then by the 1930s, they have people tied to beds. They're in straight jackets, what they called special. I love how they called them special garments. Bitch, no one ever told me they were going to put me in a special garment. It was always a straight jacket. That it's actually... Joking, by the way. My family was always joking. That these are actually in hospital reports that say that the patient was placed in special garments or bed wrappings and they were strapped to their bed or they were put in straight jackets. I mean, this is completely inhumane. This is, it's completely inhumane, which was done. So this was an actual report in 1939 that was from the hospital trustees where uh, the growing problems of the hospital amongst many. Uh, So during the last year, the problem of overcrowding became more apparent in the past years. Beginning in August, there was a marked increase in the admission of elderly psychotic persons. For the first time, they outnumbered the younger patients. This hospital for the past several years has received nearly a thousand new admissions per annual, which is altogether too large a load considering space personnel and the close attention that the newly admitted patient requires. We are constantly looking forward to the improvement and recovery of the newly admitted patient by means of all modern methods of treatment, but overcrowding makes this extremely difficult indeed. There is a need of a large number of nurses, both male and female, to give proper ward supervision to the patients, and the generating equipment located in the powerhouse has long reached its peak efficiency. And letters have been sent to the Department of Mental Health reporting that the fact of our generating equipment is aged and may fail any time. The problem of destruction by disturbed patients ha- by disturbed patients has received special careful attention. By means of better segregation, better supervision on the parts of nurses and, atten- and attendants, the use of special garments and bed care and a considerable reduction in the destruction has been obtained. Occupational therapy and sedative forms of hydrotherapy have also been contributed to this program. So again, there's no medicine at this time either. That's another thing that we should preface, whereas now we have a lot of, a vast amount of medications for depression, anxiety, several different things. This did not exist at the time. You know, this was when, you were either no, strapped the- down, tied down, or they did, if they did, they injected you with the sedative or they did hydrotherapy where basically you were just waterboarded until you passed out and 
tied you to your bed for the rest of the day. Well, no, because depression and anxiety in those days were the same as dissociative disorder and, and all that kind of shit. It's because the they didn't have what we have today, which is where you can separate it. They didn't separate it back then. The other thing you have to think of, too, women that suffered from what we would deem today PMS or just literally something that is so fucking normal that every woman goes through was deemed hysterical and you were thrown in there. I mean, if you I'm got pretty hysterical. <laughs> if you got too emotional and burned the roast and your husband didn't want to deal with you, you were thrown into an asylum. Jesus. I'm not making this up. Guys. I didn't think you were this making this up. I mean, up. this shit would happen. Your your husband could admit you, which is why I'm gay. Just no, I'm just kidding. Right? <laughs> well, your wife. Well, actually, you would be committed for being gay. I'd probably be killed for being I, gay. Yeah. I was gonna say I don't think you'd be committed. I think you'd just be killed. You and I would just be like Thelma and Louise and just <laughs> holding hands and driving over the fucking cliff because we would both just be. I'd be like, you know, it would both do I be. really want to be thrown in asylum or do I just want to die? Do I want to drive <laughs> off this cliff with my best friend? I think I want to drive Mama, off this cliff with my best friend. I need a Louise! <laughs> so by 1939, there was 2,360 patients. Um, Y'all, that's, that's a lot. That's like Titanic status. 2,200, that's more than... Actually, that's more than how many people were on the Titanic. Uh, there were 2,200 yeah. people. Is it sad that I remember that by the line? Uh, 2,200 no, members on Bolsa. <laughs> but there was more, 160 more people in that asylum than the Titanic. Think about how giant the Titanic was. It was meant to have that many people on board. Right. This hospital was not meant to that's have that saying, many people. That's what I'm saying, though. Yeah, that's what this I'm saying. This hospital's, like, smaller than the Titanic, and you've got more people than in the Titanic. That's and then insane. And also said that 278 people died that year, and these were not from natural causes. All of the deaths... Well, I shouldn't say all. I'm sorry. Probably around 95% of the deaths were not were natural. Were not natural deaths. Yeah, they were either due to suicide or uh, overdose or... Uh, they were beaten by other patients or, but yeah, there was a lot of suicides. We saw a lot of that. Lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of suicides. That well, happened. Considering what they were going that through. Happened. That's. Well, and then like we also said there, you could have somebody like you or I, where it's just simple depression or anxiety. And you end up in a place like that where you're virtually tortured or you're with other people that are criminally insane. I would, and you have no hope of getting out. I would probably kill myself too. Just saying. Especially dealing with depression myself. Like, it would drive you to kill yourself. Yeah, it would. You would literally be driven to kill yourself, especially if you feel like you have no hope of getting out. Because some of these people, if they were admitted involuntarily, like we said, if the police, if you, if the police admitted you, if your family admitted you, if your husband or whatever admitted you, then you really had no hope of ever getting out unless they deemed you quote-unquote, rehabilitated. And a lot of these people, could they weren't deemed rehabilitated because they didn't even know how to rehabilitate them. They didn't know how. Nope. So, yeah. They I did. can understand. You, I can't. You can't. De you're one person to ten people. 
if half of them you can strap down, then half of them you're going to strap down. And like you said, it's kind of a double-edged sword. Because on one hand, we can you walk a mile in their shoes, I guess you could kind of understand. But then you also want to put yourself in the position of the patient, too. And you're like, this isn't fucking right. This isn't fucking right to these patients, either. So I can see it from both on... perspectives. Because you, especially when you're working there, you're wanting to help these people. And you're doing everything you can. But you're only one person. There's only so much you can do. Yeah really is and how many how many of those poor people that work there blame themselves for those suicides and that too yeah you know which goes back to the fact that their mental state god and again could you imagine and i couldn't find any reports on this but i wonder how many staff actually work there that probably committed suicide i think you'd have to come home and try to deal with that if they even came home on your conscience. Yeah. Because if you they lived had, on the grounds. Yeah. They, they had were, that, um, there were training program for nurses. Yeah. Where they actually lived on the grounds. Yeah. So, so who knows who even actually went home at that time. <laughs> um, so in 1948, uh, again, so we're talking about various forms of treatment at the time. Um, lobotomies. If any of you guys are familiar with lobotomies, um, it's an extremely crude form of what they deemed a psychosurgery that started back in the 1930s, where essentially they take a ice pick uh, into your frontal cortex and they jam it into your brain and it's supposed to relieve mental illness. Um, but as we know, no. in many instances, it didn't do that. Um, it pretty much left patients like children or zombies. They just, you know, if you guys remember from our Jeffrey Dahmer episode, that was something that Jeffrey Dahmer would do to his patients. He would take a drill and he would drill a hole into their frontal cortex and he would pour hydrochloric acid into it. Well, even without pouring the acid into it and just simply drilling the hole, he was essentially lobotomizing his victims because he was trying to turn them into zombies. Well, that's essentially what it does. That's the whole prefrontal cortex of your brain is what controls your your motor functions, everything. It controls everything. But back in the 1930s, it was thought that it controlled the part of your brain that would basically make you normal and would relieve you from mental illness. Um, Which is kind of funny because it's like, hey, let's tamper with the part of your brain that makes you normal to make you normal. (laughs) And there was little that they knew. I mean, there was little that they knew back then of, uh, you know, as far as lobotomies go, you know, when they, when they knew that this part of your brain was, uh, you know, supposed to control everything, then they just figured that if they could pinpoint one certain area, because originally the way they used to do it is they would actually go in and they would remove a piece of your skull and they would remove a piece of your brain. But then when they started doing lobotomies, instead of actually removing it, they would just take the ice pick and hammer a hole in it. And, uh, y'all that makes my head hurt. Good Lord. And again, um, guys, this was done to these patients without anesthesia. So before you want to sit here and go, oh, well, maybe they were asleep and, and, you know, it was something. No, 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 no. These people were not put to sleep. 
when this happened, they were wide awake when they had an ice pick stuck through their eye. Could you call that lobotomy rape? Brain rape? Is that a thing? Could you call that brain rape? Because I feel like that's brain rape. It it's kind of is. I mean, if you think about it, I... Because a rape is basically going into something without permission. So, so. couple, couple <laughs> little fun facts. The original lobotomy procedure was started in 1939 by a Portuguese psychosurgeon. It was adopted by an American neurologist named Walter Freeman, who at one time in the 1940s became such a free-willing purveyor of lobotomies, he was calling them ice-pick lobotomies, and he had a traveling asylum where he would go in a... He had a traveling van where he would go from asylum to asylum calling it the lobotomobile. He would only charge $25 a lobotomy. Yeah. Um, $25 to make me a child. Um, Another fun fact... Uh, in 1941, um, I was discussing this with Casper. So a lot of people may not know this story and it doesn't tie to Danvers, but it coincidentally did happen in Massachusetts. If any of you are familiar with the story of the long lost Kennedy sister, uh, JFK, yes, our president, John F. Kennedy Jr. Uh, was, um, or John F. Kennedy, I'm sorry, John F. Kennedy. Uh, he had a sister named Rose who in 1941 at the age of 22 was lobotomized. When Rose was born, she was born with lack of oxygen to her brain. So essentially, she had very similar symptoms to a low level of Down syndrome. And she was pretty well acclimated into the family. But by the age of 22, she was sort of the equivalent to a 14-year-old, so she would exhibit a lot of symptoms of a teenager. She was in this private Catholic school, and she was running away and sneaking out, and it was seen as an embarrassment to the family. So under secret, the father, Joseph Kendi, had her lobotomized at the age of 22 without her permission or without the permission of her mother. At the time when she was born, she was declared mentally retarded because, again, of the lack of oxygen. So her parents could literally sign off to do anything. It didn't matter that she was a legal adult. She was lobotomized. Of course, hers would done her and her anesthesia. And uh, she was rendered to that of a two-year-old child. She was locked away in an asylum she got the best care ever, as much care as you could think a woman that was reduced to wearing diapers could get after what her father did to her. But she was pretty much held a secret in the family. Uh, it was not revealed that anything was even wrong with her until 1968, well after JFK became president. And it was just declared that she was a recluse. It wasn't revealed until 1987, over 40 years later, that she was lobotomized and then she died in the 90s 1990s so yeah um, oh not many people know that it's kind of a crazy story i came up on it uh it it's not it was it was not a procedure that that did any good to anybody patients in asylums makes you Kennedy, wonder why they kept doing it if it literally helped no one over years and years and years and years if it helped no one. Because these people, the only thing that I could, and again, I am purely playing devil's advocate here. These places are grossly overcrowded, and you're talking about a society that knew nothing of what to do with the majority of these patients. If they were so unruly, I mean, you could, you could have patients that 
that could have forms of autism spectrum that are so bad they're 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 throwing their poop on the walls or they're you know and and where that now can be controlled with medication and therapy then they were strapping them to a bed and these people are biting themselves those kind of people at the time were thought to be completely out of control you're a lobotomy candidate right then and there yeah any deficiencies or disorders now that we can categorize mentally and actually treat those people got no treatment so you're thinking you're strapped to a bed the easiest thing to do if you're thrashing around or laying there catatonic just lobotomize you you're easy you just sit there and drool and pee on yourself and we don't ever have to worry about you and and that's it so it's not right by any means but you're talking about a completely overwhelmed system where they literally thought this was an actual cure and it wasn't. It was an ends to justify the means. They just wanted to get these people out of their hair. And then in the 1950s, they introduced electroshock. Electroshock was another one. It was another form of therapy, psychotherapy, that uh, really at the time didn't benefit many. It was almost thought as a form of torture. There were electrodes that were placed on the side of your head and essentially, it was thought that for mental disease, that it would sort of restructure your brain because our brain is a battery. So if you send electrical currents through your brain, it'll sort of rejolt it and recharge it and maybe knock out the mental illness that you have in there. Now, low levels of electric shock therapy, even today, have been deemed to be healthy. You actually can have electric shock therapy even now, but it has to be done under patient permission. Only the patient themselves can give written permission to have the procedure done. And it has to be done sanctioned in certain states. It's like very critical the way it is now versus the way it was done then. Probably it was, because it was done so horribly then where it was actually it was torture. torture. It was actually yeah. torture then because they would crank up. I mean, if people would resist or anything, they would. I mean, we've seen movies. It's very similar to movies you've seen where people receive electric shock where it is incredibly painful and horrible and you're foaming at the mouth and you urinate on yourself and you're basically getting electrocuted you're getting electrocuted if anybody's ever shocked themselves or Oof. stuck a piece of metal in something and shocked the shadows imagine that times 10 and it's going through your brain and every part of I your mean, body I got struck by lightning one time so i can't it is no, the thank worst you. It's, I mean, it's, it's literally a form of torture. But again, another little fun fact of somebody, of there's been celebrities that have actually had electric shock done. Um, Ernest Hemingway, the famous writer, had it done at one time. Um, unfortunate for him, it did not work. He felt like it made his mental illness worse, and he subsequently killed himself afterwards. Um, our beloved Carrie Fisher, our Princess R. Leia. R.I.P. Our Princess Leia. We love you. Actually benefited from electric shock therapy. Uh, she wrote about it candidly in her memoir. She she went on talk shows and interviews and talked about it from 2008 till 2014. She said that it helped her bipolar disorder immensely, but she did discontinue doing it because she did say it affected her memory greatly. She started to have issues with memory, memorizing lines and remembering people and faces, but she at one time was a big advocate for it prior to her passing away and had it done for almost six years. And she really, she said it was like it broke apart the cement in her brain was the way that she described it. So at low healthy doses, it actually can be a benefit. 
But back then in the time that it was introduced to places like Danvers in the 40s and 50s, just like lobotomies, it was an extreme form of torture to people who otherwise could have just been given medication and therapy and rehabilitated as normal citizens. Well, I have to say, I was pretty shocked about the Carrie Fisher. <laughs> Were you shocked? I was shocked! Were you electroshocked? <laughs> Guys, that was a pun. <laughs> if you didn't know. <laughs> if you didn't know. That was a pun. If you've been listening by now, we know that uh, Casper's got all I the am dad queen jokes. of dad jokes. She is queen I'm of sorry. Dad jokes. She is. I, am, I bring the humor to the... To the table here, you know, and all the sadness and electroshock therapy and lobotomy shit. I'm like, I was shocked. <laughs> Need that little drum in the background. Um, another form of therapy that was introduced, we mentioned about medications. Finally, there was a medication on the market called Thorazine that was introduced for psychotic disorders such as schizophrenia. And uh, manic depression. Um, but again, Thorazine was a very, very highly, uh, it, the, the side effects were so extreme. It, it, again, very zombie-like. People just kind of wandering around, drooling on themselves after getting this medication. It left you just in a complete and total haze. Um, was that brought on by Marvel? Thor? Thorazine. Oh my god. I would hope Thor wouldn't. Turn you into a zombie? That would be awful. That would be Loki would. He could shock you though. God of Thunder. <laughs> Sparkle fingers. <laughs> Sparkle! Sparkle! Um, we should this would be a good time to mention the 50, 1950s. So the murder that happened. Um we did mention about a lot of deaths that happened at Danvers. We did mention that a lot of them, more than 90% of them, were definitely not natural causes. Quite a few of them were suicides, but we didn't mention murders. Um, there was one significantly during this time in 1952, May 9th of 1952 specifically, where a man by the name of Charles Baker was murdered. And the reason why we're bringing this up, guys, I, we, we, me and Becky watched a couple videos and, um, Obviously, like getting ready for the podcast, doing some research. We like to look up some um, interesting things on YouTube to see if people have done their own stuff about it. Just to learn more and see what they've researched. Yeah, we'll give honorable mention to a guy by the name of Boston Rob that did a great YouTube video awesome. where he did um, sessions in the uh, Danvers uh, Cemetery that's located um, on the grounds of the... Uh, where the original hospital stood. Which we have another story coming with that later. Yeah. But um, he showed, there's a memorial in the cemetery, and it's three different, like, gravestone-looking things with everybody's name. Excuse me, I'm sorry. Everybody's name who passed away there. Unfortunately, there are graves there without names because there were some patients they didn't even know the name of. Um, which is really, really, really Yeah, there were just sad. mass graves at one yeah. time. So. Um, but there was one name in particular I kept being drawn to. And his name was Charles Baker. And I kept seeing his name on the memorial. And I kept seeing um, 
even when we watched another interview or not interview, I'm sorry, another YouTube video about it, his name was mentioned and I kept being drawn to his name. So I tried to find what I could. Yeah. Special mention to, uh, Kayla on YouTube. She did a great, uh, video about, uh, Danvers, um, back in May of this year, all about the history of Danvers State Hospital. And you guys should check her out too, because she does a bunch of spooky stuff. K-Y-E-L-U-H. K-Y-E-L-U-H on YouTube. Yeah, she's really cool. I really like her. I just subscribed to everything of hers because I was like, oh, you do spooky things. Yay. Um, but I did find this little clipping of a um, newspaper clipping from a Danvers newspaper that says, it was a suspect in killing of Danvers inmate sent to Bridgewater. A patient who was suspected of killing another inmate Saturday at Danvers State Hospital was transferred to Bridgewater State Hospital for the criminally insane today. Dr. Francis X. Sullivan, assistant superintendent of the Danvers Institution, said he still had not heard from the district attorney's office about possible court action. It was expected the transfer of the suspect would close the case. The murder victim, who was Charles Baker, formerly of Lynn, who had been confined to Danvers for about a year. He was allegedly beaten to death with a piece of firewood while he was laying in his bed, there was no witness to the killing, and the suspect maintained his innocence. So they had a suspect, but he was never, it was never proven who the actual killer was. And to be honest with you guys, I don't know why I've been drawn to this name. Um, but, you know, especially being in the building myself and actually being around that area and just honing in on this guy's name. I don't know if I felt him at some point, and that's why. I'm so drawn to him, but it was just very interesting. And I was talking to Becky about it and I said, I really want to talk about him because I feel drawn to talk about him. Like I've been drawn to him ever since I saw his name in on the memorial. So I just wanted to share that with you guys. I don't know who murdered him, but that's a pretty shitty way to go. Well, and who's to know if he's not one of many of the restless spirits that's there still on those grounds. You have to think to be brutally murdered in such a way, and there's still no justice, still nobody brought to justice on who murdered you. I would think that that spirit would still be restless. I would think that- Which there, is why I'm wondering if while we were there, maybe I if that's connected with him in some way, shape, you know? or form. And of course, like we stated, he's not the only one that was murdered there. Um, a lot of them went unsolved. A lot of suicides there. Uh, this place is completely overcrowded. How easy would it be to murder somebody or do that to someone without getting caught? Very easily could happen. Oh, yeah. Especially if you were an actual killer. And right, you were in this Again, asylum. If you were there, if you were criminally insane and you were there and you sh definitely shouldn't have been, how easy would it be for you to kill somebody? Because you Very were completely easy. unsupervised. Which, like, bringing up the whole cemetery. Some of the cemetery, some of the cemetery, some of the stones didn't have a name. Some people didn't even know their name. Of course it's going to be easy to get away with murder if you don't even know who the fuck you have in your hospital and some of those people again like we said were transient were brought in by the police so a lot of them may have had no family to be able to trace back any type of dna evidence to ever find out who these people are so again a lot of restless unsettled spirits yep so makes those total, makes total sense we both did for sure so by the 1960s um state hospitals 
in and around the country, not just Danvers, as I mentioned before, had become completely outdated and unnecessary due to better psychiatric medications and different approaches to mental illness, uh, and even more so an establishment of a statewide system of community health centers. Conditions at Danvers specifically grew worse and worse, and the administrators' pleas felt, uh, fell on deaf ears. They were asking for funding. It, it seems like to me, if you trace back the history, they started asking for more funding from the very start even not even 10 or 20, not even 10 years after this hospital was built. This hospital was built in the 1870s. In the 1880s, they already start to see issues with overcrowding or asking for help. And by the 1960s, they still weren't getting help. And by this time, local community centers were opening. Uh, medications like Prozac were starting to be introduced on the market to help with depression uh, it, there was more that was starting to be known about mental illness to actually help people instead of locking them away in these outdated asylums that were getting no help and no funding. Um, so by the 1970s, the entire mass of the building was start, starting to decay and crumble. Um, the original steeple of the facade of the front of the building, which was called the Kirkbride, had to be removed completely because pieces of it were actually starting to fall off. And this is at the entrance of the building, so we can't be having that. Um, <laughs> entire wards... Walk into the building like, let's go to the hospital, dead. Boom! And uh, <laughs> entire wards were just starting to be closed down one by one. Uh, patients were shipped off to other facilities. The process of deinstitutionalizing state hospitals had started uh, in the mid-70s. By 1984... The Kirkbride building, as I mentioned, was placed on the National Registry of Historic Places. By 1985, a state study determined that the building, although impressive, was not appropriate or capable or cost-effective in rehabilitating as far as modern hospital standards. Um, in 1987, the hospital came under specific scrutiny when a patient by the name of Ann Houghton or Houghton, I apologize, had wandered out of the hospital and was found dead the next day, just 200 yards from the front after suffering a massive heart attack. Uh, the administrator at the time, William Bonds, left his position as administrator the following year in 88 as the Department of Mental Health in Massachusetts started to find all types of evidence of lapses of security and displacement in the hospital. Resulting of that incident, and there was also incidences of massive rapes, one in particular that happened when a male patient ended up in a female ward, hid in a bathroom, and raped the patient. By 1989, the Kirkbride building was uh, completely shuttered. The remaining patients were all moved to a medical building that was on the side of the grounds. By 1990, the Massachusetts Association of Mental Health had published a paper that suggested three state hospitals, one of them being Danvers, was one of the prime candidates for closures. Uh, by 91, the governor had accepted the commission's recommendations for closure. And by June 24th, 1992, Danvers State Hospital had officially closed. It had been open for 118 years before it finally shut its doors. Woo! So, yeah. Um, Which it needed to do. 
long clearly before it needed 1992, to be. long before 1992. So we should also mention, um, they state in here that there were several state hospitals in and around Massachusetts at the time in the early 90s that were closed along with Danvers and that the remaining patients that were at Danvers were to be moved to local hospitals in the area. But we should also mention that back when we did our Salem episode, Dr. Vidka had mentioned, if you guys listened, that some of the current homeless in Salem were former Danvers State Hospital patients because any of them that couldn't be moved to hospitals or families came to claim they were just bussed into Salem and Boston and a lot of homeless even to this day were patients of the asylum at the time because they had nowhere else to go. And that may be incredibly sad. That's just that's heartbreaking. That's heartbreaking. It's absolutely heartbreaking to think what those people went through there to now be homeless. And you don't drive on that land and not feel the sadness that you feel. Unfor- it's, they're it's, just unfortunates. I always call those people unfortunates. So, um, or unfortunate yeah, stories. keep that in mind next time you go to Salem if you see any of the uh, homeless. Um, drop them a dollar, buy them a coffee, buy them a sandwich. Just keep that in mind when you see them. We're so quick to dismiss homeless people, but specifically if you're in Salem, keep in mind this story and know that the majority of those people are just mentally ill and they have nowhere else to go and no capabilities of finding a job or anything at this point to live a normal lifestyle as we do. So buy them a sandwich and a coffee, give them a couple dollars, just have a good heart, people. Just keep that in mind. It, it it's breaks not that hard. It's really not that difficult to pass on that kindness to people. Um, there's a Dunkin' Donuts around every corner. Buy them a nice every coffee. Every fucking corner. Do you want Starbucks? They're a- shit out of luck. They'll appreciate it. There'll be one Starbucks amidst 16 Dunkin' Donuts. Fun fact, Dunkin' Donuts headquarters is in Massachusetts. We had to look that up. There were way yeah. too many for it to be a coincidence. Um, but my dad has been to Seattle, and he said Starbucks in Seattle are the exact same way. I need to Makes go to Seattle. Sense. Makes sense. Oh, you missed the Starbucks? There's one right there. Oh, you missed that one? There's one right there. <laughs> I'm so heavy. Oh my god, Starbucks is my life. Pumpkin spice lattes. Pumpkin spice lattes. That was amazing. I'm so sorry. That was incredible. She's like, I didn't realize that was going to go that long. That was so Uh, annoying. Okay, so I wanted to point out to you guys. Tad bit um, nasally. Because I'm so white and like, I need my Starbucks because like, White girl and pumpkin, and I just need it, okay? What Becky Gremlin turns into when pumpkin spice lattes hit. What I am 365 days a year. <laughs> um, so I wanted to point out the fact of the cemetery, guys. So we, when we visited, this was our plan, okay? We wanted to go see Danvers State Hospital at night because they light it up really cool. And we were like, we want to see this at night. So we decided to go at night. Well, that was a mistake because, number one, you can't see shit out there, first of all. You Guys, can't, you like can't we said, see. this is 200 acres of land. 
You so can't still, see all shit. of that. There's a lot of land back there that's still like nothing company owned. Like you could tell, like there was one part that I think was a medical building that belonged to the hospital at one time yeah. that was still a hospital. And you could tell, but like otherwise, there's you can't tell anything back. Especially there. at it's night, very, like it's it's very poorly lit. Very poorly lit, except and for you the can't. parking lots. You can't see any other any of the main roads. And there's only like Maple Road and like Hawthorne Road. So there's only like two roads that run parallel to each other, and they're just kind of in one big circle around the hill. Well, but we there's didn't no know, lighting back there. There's no signs to where the actual building is. Nope. There's there's nothing. So we're in the we're literally driving blind and she Becky's driving and we didn't know we were actually supposed to go up and around a hill to actually get to the big building because like I said we couldn't fucking see so we're driving along and we get to one spot in particular where there's like nothing it's it, we, we drove past like all of the buildings that we could see and we're literally sitting in the middle of nowhere, and we've kind of went over this a little bit, and when we were talking about our trip, but we were—I remember, and she remembers specifically seeing a cornfield. It was like a giant ass field of nothing, and we both had this feeling. I especially know I did, and I'm sure she did too, because she was just trying to figure out where the fuck the building was. And oh, I'm over I was there. freaked the fuck out. I wanted to get the <laughs> fuck out of there. You were starting to flip out, and I'm like, honey, I'm literally. Just as flipped out as you are, <laughs> but the person behind the wheel has to maintain some type of calm, or we're all going to die. I mean, so I need you to. I mean, I was calm. I wasn't freaking out. I just looked. I just said to her, "Everything inside of my body is telling me to get the fuck out of here right now." Well, that's freaking out because you. Would so I was out. like, I have. I just felt the heebie-jeebies, the literal heebie-jeebies. It was just so creepy. Come to find out. We were actually sitting in, in the area very, very close to where the cemetery was. Yep. And again, thanks. Shout out to Boston Rob on YouTube right. <laughs> uh, for his Danvers video where he was in the cemetery because we were sort of able to look at the trajectory of the video uh, to a map and realize that's exactly where we were. And it makes perfect sense that we would have been in the vicinity of the cemetery in the way that we were feeling. Just incredibly uncomfortable. He even said it to a T. He was there in the day. He was there during the day. And he even said like the same thing we were feeling. He was like, I feel creepy, very eerie right now. Like you were being watched. Yeah. He kept saying he was feeling like he was being watched. I kept feeling like I was being watched. I kept feeling like there was just going to be a car that was going to appear out of nowhere, like some like some Jeepers Creeper shit. Yeah, I kept honestly, I kept waiting for somebody to like pass the window and knock on it. Oh, girl, no, that's what I was waiting for, and I was about to be like, "Bitch, I don't have a gun. I ain't got shit, but I'm about to fucking come out of this car and beat the shit out of whoever does this stupid shit. I don't care if you're a ghost or not. I will beat the shit out of you." You would have saw me hit the gas pedal so quick <laughs> through that motherfucking cornfield. I would have been like, oh my Becky, god. Becky, we're in a cornfield. Help. <laughs> I just would have. Let me, let me have felt, let me have heard a knock on my window. And you would have just heard screaming. Because what and screeching tires. That I could just see it hit. happening where it would have happened and I would have just slowly looked over at you. And we would have, well, we would have slowly looked at each other and I would have been like. 
go. <laughs> like we right gonna now, die. Right now I'm laughing hysterically at the thought of it, but actually inside I'm like, <laughs> bitch, do you know what would have happened to me if that would have actually happened? What time is it? Oh, oh look at that. I'm, I'm a little late. I'm a little late. She's tonight. a little late to the game, the choking. Um, but no, seriously, guys, that was the creepiest oh my I have ever felt. Even being inside the building, I didn't feel as creeped out as I felt in that spot. I felt heavy in the building, but like right. in that spot, I just felt, I want to get the fuck out of here. I want to get the fuck, I can't, I don't like this place. I don't know what we're around. And now looking back at it, I'm like, it was the cemetery. Was totally that the makes cemetery. perfect sense. It was totally perfect the cemetery. Sense. Well, we should, we should mention with the cemetery that- the hospital itself remained uh, abandoned for 13 years, and it just fell into complete disrepair. Um, by 1998, there was a committee that uh, was formed called the Danvers State Memorial Committee. Um, it was an advocacy group that was composed of actually former uh, patients that created to identify names of the hundreds of former patients buried anonymously in the Danvers State Hospital Cemetery. So there, so where the actual cemetery was then at the time, uh, the hundreds of former patients that were buried there, there were no names. So by 2002, the committee was actually able to successfully identify three quarters of the patients buried there. And they installed new headstones displaying the names of the patients that they were able to identify. And there was a memorial erected to the patients who graves could not be identified. So like Casper mentioned, there's three stones that are set up that have the names of the patients and names of ones that are identified. And it says, here rest former patients of Danvers State Hospitals with love we remember your names, the ex-patients of the Danvers State Memorial Committee, 2002. There's also a rock um, that's at the entrance of the cemetery that says the echoes they left behind, which is pretty eerie in itself. I was like, that's kind of eerie. You can talk about, okay. you could, like, almost right. as if you can still hear their hear their voices okay. in some way, shape, or form. Don't like I don't particularly like that. So we should say where the Danvers State Hospital is now, where Casper uh, and I actually went to when we were staying in Danvers near Salem and were actually able to, the next day after our weird encounter at night, where we were actually able to find it the next day. Yeah, because I told her, I was like, bitch, let's just get the fuck out of here. Just, I'm, we'll I'm we'll not, come back in the day. We'll come back in, in the day when we can actually see. <laughs> It'll still be creepy, but we can actually see. So um, where we were in the remaining facade of the building um, is one of the only original parts of the building that's left. So in 2005, after it sat abandoned for a number of years, it was purchased by a development company for $12 million who were planning on turning it into an apartment building. Uh, construction started in 2006, where six of the original eight wards were completely demolished, as well as the nurse homes, the chapels, the medical building, a tuberculosis cottage, a mechanics garage, the laundry building, the gyna gymnasium, and the kitchen. I would just like to point out again, I'm a buy an, an insane asylum, a insane asylum mm -hmm. and I'm going to turn it into 
because that's what you do. On a horrible piece of land like that, I want to live there. That's what I, that's, that's smart. And see, what's so crazy is like, they, there's been plans in the past to do that, like with other <coughs> asylums. And she's like, really? There's, there's been plans in the past to do that with other asylums that never went through for that exact reason where people just thought it was you know, was it right? And I don't know why for whatever reason. I feel I don't like know. in a way it's slightly know. disrespectful. I, I, don't, I, I think you know, it is too. I don't feel like it's right to erect these beautiful apartments on a place that was so much, just caused so much pain. Because mm-hmm. I feel like it's disrespectful to the people who did live there, who was put through absolute hell. What are they thinking about all this shit? They're probably pissed the fuck off. Well, and the other thing we should mention too, and you know, out of respect, it's it's it is great what they were able to do with the cemetery and being able to identify at least some, if not all, of the bodies and give them proper headstones. But we should mention that where the cemetery is in relation to where the original building is are pretty far from each other. And where the front of the original hospital is, which is actually now the foyer of the apartment complex, there's just this little tiny sign that just reads and, and the way it reads, it, 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 it doesn't, it, it literally mentions nothing about any of the horrific things that happened there, which of course, if you've got these apartments that sell for the most $2,900 a month, these ginormous expensive ass condos, they're not going to say exactly they what happened They don't want to bring there. attention if they do, people don't know, they don't want to bring attention to it because it's going to cost them money. So it's considered a National Historic Landmark, which we did mention that it was declared that at one time. And the sign out in front of the building now says, originally known as Hathorn Hill, a 257-foot glacial drum land that was the home of famous Salem witch trial judge, John Hathorne, the land became home of the Dodge Farm in the 1800s. However, its time as farmland was short-lived when the Commonwealth of Massachusetts allocated funds to build the Danvers State Hospital in 1874. The architect, Nathaniel Bradley, for whom the community is now named, can be credited with over 500 architectural projects in Boston and surrounding areas. He designed the Gothic-style Kirkbride building at a time when much of the country was still recovering from the financial strain of the Civil War. The Kirkbride building was based on the design of Dr. Thomas Kirkbride, who believed that patients needed access to natural light and an abundant view of natural landscapes in order to heal. Today, it's a beautifully restored apartment community that provides high-end homes to people in and moving to the surrounding community. The original design has been maintained as a nod to the area's rich history and original intention for natural serenity. I love how they put that. The area's rich history and original intention for natural serenity. Oh, you mean when it opened back in the 1870s, not what it became in the 1940s, where it was torturing people They're with tor- ice picks through their They're eyeballs? Not That's not fair. That's not fair to those people. Yeah. I'm just... Yeah. We even were thinking about not going in because we were didn't know what was going to happen if we went in. But like I just said it before... And, like, I've described it to every person I've come in contact with who has asked me. Those, like, 10 to 20 pound weighted blankets 
when you walk into that building, it's like someone dropped it on you. Well, it's and like just... you said, it, now knowing too that that's the original, that front that front building that we entered, and the two side buildings that you see as you drive up on it, the two original wards and the center building are still there. They were gutted and and reframed. And the original steeple that we mentioned that was crumbling and falling apart in the 70s, now that was recreated. So what's there now is a recreation of that. But otherwise, all of that is the original building from the 1870s. So you're feeling all of that when you're in there. You're feeling all of that. You're feeling the literal weight. That's why it's the best way to describe it, like you said, of a weighted blanket. Because you're feeling the literal weight of these spirits. And it was so funny that when you walk in, they have a haunted show on. That was so crazy. And it wasn't it wasn't about Danvers. I don't remember what building they were at. But I was like, of all things you could have on TV Why would you right have the now? Travel Channel on and there's a ghost show on as I'm walking into this haunted-ass building? Which, by the way, you know, it's a front foyer that's totally bougie. You could tell that these fucking apartments are ridiculously expensive. You, like, see the old on the outside. I mean, it, it's renovated. Of course, it looks nice. But when you walk in, it's so... It, it's, it doesn't match. It at doesn't all. match at all. They could have at old least... to new. They could have at least modernized the inside to look older, if that makes any sense. You know what I'm saying? You can modernize something and still give it a rustic look. I think they should have kept with the gothic style. And I think they yeah, should they have, put have. A, I think they should have pictures. I think they should have had pictures up of the original hospital. And, and But they don't want to draw attention. They don't want to draw attention to any of that because of the shit that went on. I think the spirits wouldn't be so angry if they would have paid more respect to that. You know what I'm saying? Well, it, we should we it we should mention too in that YouTube video that um, Kayla did, that she said that there really wasn't a lot of information where people talked about hauntings. Like either people, and again, they don't they don't want, these are very high-end apartments that are millions of dollars. They don't want any attention like that drawn there. I mean, they even went as far as when it was renamed. So, um, Actually, this was something interesting that I found. 15 years after it originally closed, in 2007, while they were doing construction, there was a fire that broke out. Yeah, I found that interesting, too. Most of the new construction burnt down completely. So, I mean, come on. And then when we were at Marblehead <clears throat> Beach and how we originally found out that we were even close to Danvers... We ran into that couple and that gentleman said that when his brother was working on the pool, so his brother was one of the original construction workers during this time. And what are the around of that the back like, of running into somebody that trip, like that. It was so serendipitous. <laughs> um, the where the center of the building is behind that central area in between those two wings is where the pool is. And when construction on the pool started is when this gentleman said that his brother and all of the other construction workers started to notice all types of activity happening. Tools going missing, lights turning off and on. So right there, there's a report of haunting activities that went on while there was construction. And you can't tell me that fire 
didn't have anything to do with that. And the timing, 2007, 15 years after it closed, it's just, it's it's too much. It's too much. Certain things you just can't call. When I read about that fire, my mind was immediately like, oh, oh they I did started too. it. That's they why started I, it. I even wrote in my notes. I even wrote in my notes specifically 15 years after it closed. They like, started it. They're pissed. And they honestly have every right to be. Which is probably why you feel, number one, you feel the heaviness, but you also feel... I didn't feel anger, per se, but I felt frustrated. And I don't know if that was partly me or if that was something connecting to me, but I felt partly frustrated because I was like, this is wrong. I don't feel, I don't feel like this is right at all. And it wasn't even so much that I felt that. I just, I felt, well, I shouldn't say that. I felt wrong, but I felt wrong in a way where I was like questioning why people were even wanting to live there. I'm like, yeah. why do you want to live here? Like, that's what I'm saying, though. Like, I don't... I wasn't oh, feeling okay. yeah, anger. Yeah. I was feeling frustration because I was like, all of this? Yeah. This apartment complex, renovating the entire inside of this to look literally like the 24th century. Right. And, like, this is not... It's disrespectful. It's so disrespectful to them. So I feel like it wasn't something connecting to me. I was just me. It was just me being angry at the fact that these people are not getting the respect they deserve. It's not their fault that they were treated like shit. Well, and it's interesting enough, after the original contractors, after the construction was finished in 2008 and residents started to move in, residents started to get flooded. The residents started to flood the management with phone calls and complaints about finding out the original history of the asylum. So by 2014, the original contractor sold the building for $108.5 million, and it was renamed. So it, it's not even called Danvers State anymore. It's called Bradley Danvers. So it's supposed to uh, give back to the name of the original architect of the building. But again... I mean, it just goes without saying that it just, they're just trying to get away so much of the history, get away from so much of the history, which on one hand, I guess I get for them because that's bad for business. But on another hand, it's just, it's going to be worse very for business disrespectful. when you can't keep people in your apartment complex because you've pissed off spirits. Number one. I'd be really interested to know if anybody that lives there would like to write in to us if they happen to listen to the podcast. And even if you want to write in anonymously, I would love to hear if anybody has ever had any experiences there themselves that live there or used to live there or have friends that have lived there. You don't have to give us a name. I totally get it if you want to remain anonymous, but I would love because there would have to be. It's just... Well, just like me and Becky were talking, you know, when you go to work, work is sometimes, most of the time, stressful. Why would you want to go to work and then come home to this place that just feels so heavy? Mm-hmm. I, w- I wouldn't want that. I wouldn't want that. I wouldn't want to live, especially paying out my ass for that shit. Like, I, it's not right what they've done, and I don't care if it's bad for business. People need to know about it. And to be completely honest with you... Don't move somewhere without knowing the history of the land. Oh my god, no. Don't, don't. 
that goes for a house. That goes for an apartment. Do not move somewhere without knowing where it's standing. Again, what happened Holter, on guys. Like, well, there's a lot of states where realtors do not have to disclose if there were any deaths or anything. That's why, bitch, I'm going to the library. So I'm going to the library. To... I'm about to be like, this is the address. I need to know all about this land. I need to know what happened in this house. I need to know everything. Holter, guys, people. <laughs> Cause I'm not, I'm not about to move in a fucking Native you didn't American. Move the bodies, but you moved the headstone. I'm not about to fucking move into a house that was that's sitting on Native American land where there was a. It's like it's like moving into the Amityville house without knowing shit. Mm-hmm. Don't do it. Researcher, we re- research it, especially Only if it's research. Research. Especially if it's cheap as hell and it's too good to be true. <laughs> Whatever. Because even though, you know, I understand that a lot of, you know, asylums, especially today, allow people to come and ghost hunt. I get that. You know, that's that's something that they bring in. And maybe Danvers didn't want to do that. But doing this was completely not right. <laughs> so, I, I would have rather them have kept it a historical landmark and turned it into a museum or something, even if they wanted to tear down the original, excuse me, the original buildings and just keep the two wards in the center facade of the building like they did. Um, We should mention, though, that besides it being turned into apartments as it currently stands, um, there is some more history tied to the building itself in present day. Um, the building was featured in a 2001 horror movie called Possession 9. It was an independent horror film that was shot there. Um, the Kirkbride building was also the inspiration, and this is kind of how serendipitously (laughs) H.P. Lovecraft got tied into our Salem trip without me even knowing that we mentioned, again, in our Salem podcast, that we ended up in... On Marblehead Beach, which of course is of the Lovecraft mythos, and then we find out about Danvers, which is the inspiration for H.P. Lovecraft's Arkham Sanitarium that is in his story, The Thing on the Doorstep. And H.P. Lovecraft's Arkham Sanitarium that was uh, inspired by Danvers also went on to inspire Arkham Asylum in the Batman series, as we all know. Hell and, um, yes. Also, another Can't play that game normally anymore. Right, right. I know, right? Without looking <laughs> like at it. Like, it fucks me up now. I'm like, like oh my I god. Was there. I was in this building. I also wanted to mention, too, real quick, something interesting that I found out. Um, Deadpool, the movie Deadpool 2, there was an actor named Rob Delaney that played a character named Peter, who was hysterical. I loved him. Um... Deadpool 2, Peter, played by Rob Delaney. Um, If anybody's seen the movie, Peter was a part of the X-Force. He was adorable. Um, He actually grew up in Boston. He wrote a book um, where he actually mentioned Danvers Hospital. He is a huge advocate for mental health awareness. And prior to demolishing Danvers State Hospital, he actually went and visited the hospital and went and toured the grounds and uh, wrote a really great book about mental health awareness where he mentions an entire chapter of the book about Danvers State Hospital and the history of it, of growing up in Boston and knowing about it. In Boston. So that is everything that we have brought to you 
about Danvers State Hospital here at Don't Fuck With The Original. Don't fuck with the original. Don't fuck with the original. (laughs) We hope you guys liked it. This was, uh... It's so cool to talk about a place we've been to. Like, that's, that's... That's why we knew we had to do an episode about it, because I knew about the hospital. Casper didn't. So when we found out about it and then we're actually able to go there, it was insane. And then evil even it was ha- insane. Ha- even no pun intended. It was insane at the insane asylum. Of course. It going somewhere that you've been and having paranormal experiences there and then being able to actually come back and not only talk about the history of it, but then talk about your own experiences is just something that I never thought I would ever go through. So this was pretty awesome. Episode. It was. It was. <clears throat> excuse me. It was. It was very awesome. I we really hope it was informative, this. and we hope you guys learned a lot. We hope um, if you ever visit the area, if you guys ever happen to be in Boston, it's not a very far drive to visit. Um, if you happen to live in the area and want to learn more history about it, um, yeah. And again, please, if anybody lives there or knows anybody that lives there, and you guys want to write in anonymously, we would love to. Yeah, just email us at uh, dfwto8493 at gmail.com. Oh, yeah. Hey, I got it right the first time. First time around. What the fuck's happening? (laughs) All right, guys. A word from our sponsor. Calm your body down. Um, if you guys have been checking out the Instagram page, I have been featuring the uh, body creams pretty heavy, especially the uh, peppermint body cream. Um, it has been so hot and humid here in Ohio lately, and uh, I know it is killing everybody as much as as much as it's killing me. So if you want a refreshing body cream after shower. The um, peppermint and the vanilla scented are absolutely amazing, especially after shaving. And the peppermint cream is phenomenal for your feet. Oh, my God. If you guys worry about your feet stinking because they're sweaty, peppermint is actually a very, very, very natural cure for foot fungus. So uh, this would be essential after a workout, after a hard day's work, just or all around being outside and being sweaty because it's so damn hot. So. It's been a hard day's night. I probably shouldn't sing that. I'm, I'm sorry. Like, you're like, I'm like, wait. <laughs> <laughs> Who owns the catalogs to their music? You didn't sing enough of it anyway. So we'll I fine. didn't. We'll be fine. <laughs> I really don't need anybody from that. Please no, don't that us. music to uh, please no. Like, it's like please don't sue us. Please um, don't do that. But yeah, thank you guys. Um, head over to the Etsy shop. It's um, the link is in the <clears> bio <throat> on the Instagram page at CRBD. And thanks again. Appreciate it. Calm your body down. So, a big shout out to Peter Gundry, who does our music, uh, Salem Secret. Uh, he has a new album out, guys. He just released a new album. Like, I think it was, like, maybe last week or so. Check him out on Spotify and YouTube. He's got some really cool music. I actually have the uh, Salem Salem something album. I'm sorry. I can't remember the name of it. But it's a which, which hour, it might be the name of it. Is the album I have downloaded, but uh, check out his music. I it's know, really I cool. Too. I'm so sorry. I'm. I can't to remember that. I think it's which hour, witching hour, might be the name of the album. 
But um, he did just release a new album, so you guys should check it out. Check out all of his music. I just wanted to give him a shout-out because he's still making amazing music and still super big thank you to him for letting us use his music because it's really fucking awesome. Yeah, I've, I've <clears throat> used so many of his music in um, meditations and blessings and... Um, there was a full moon last night and a full moon tonight. So if anybody needs any music for full moon blessings, his music is amazing for that too. So yes, Peter, thank you so much. We appreciate yes, it. Check out his stuff for sure. Fucking full moon. <laughs> show. Oh, and it shows. It, shows. <laughs> yes, it definitely shows. All right, guys. So next week will be our true crime episode which is what you guys seem to really look forward to since we do some true crime episodes every month. Carl Panzeram is going to be our main focus for next week. Oh, and whiskey and sodomy. Dr. Vitka will love this one. Oh, yeah. We will very, we will, hey, Dr. Vitka, if you're listening right now, <laughs> we are going to make you very aware that this episode is coming next week because yeah. you're going to be super excited about it. So um, we hope we do it justice. <clears throat> We're going to try to give as much detail as we can. Um, I love doing one's where they're either new to one of us or new to both of us. And this is one that's going to be really new to Casper, and I'm excited. I've known about Carl Panzeram for a really long time, and I just, this guy is like, whoo, you guys thought Bundy was sick. You guys thought BTK was sick. You guys ain't seen nothing yet to read you Carl Panzeram. I can't so watch, just, wait, I just can't wait. walk. I can't wait to watch the uh, documentary about him too. Yeah, there's a and there's an amazing documentary on. Um, it's actually on Amazon Prime now. If you guys get a chance to catch it prior to the podcast, if you're wanting to, um, you know, gain a little bit of knowledge about uh, Carl Panzeram, if you've never heard of him before, it's actually called Carl Panzeram: The Spirit of Hatred and Vengeance. And uh, it was written by a man named uh, John Browski, who I had the pleasure of meeting um, some years back at a convention. And the guy is just phenomenal. If we could ever get a chance at some point to interview him for the podcast, it would be insane. I would love to. Um, he's done interviews about Carl Panzeram. He's done one about done ones about H. H. Holmes, Albert Fish. Um, he also did a really great one that's also on Amazon Prime. If you get a chance to watch it after the Carl Panzeram one, it's called mm -hmm. Serial Killer Culture. And it goes all into the history of people collecting serial killer memorabilia and different things like that. So um, John Borowski, special shout out. Uh, we're going to watch that documentary um, and then get some more history about Carl Panzeram. But if you get a chance to watch it and check out any of his other stuff, uh, please do. So we cannot wait. I'm so excited. Also, we're not going to give any um, too much away right now, but next month's on-site location is going to be fucking awesome. That's all I have to say. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to give any hints. Um, we know we talked about Waverly a lot, guys, and we were really going to try to go to Waverly, but tickets to Waverly Hill Sanatorium sold out very quick. So if anybody in the area... Wanted to go to Louisville, Kentucky to check it out. It is completely sold out the rest of this year for any of their overnight haunted tours. We just did not get in early enough. They go quick. They go fast. It is a very populated, very popular haunted spot. Yeah. 
We'll go next week. year. We'll go but, next um, We're going to buy our tickets in January. We'll buy them early. <laughs> we're going to get a jump start on it next year. But the place we're going next month that we're going to bring our story to you guys, oh, we cannot wait. We're stoked. We're so, we, we can't wait. The to more I think know. about it, the more I'm like, holy fuck. Like, I, I'm going to need next month to get here because I'm so excited. I we can't, can't handle wait it. to bring it to you guys, so. And we were talking about, like, how fucking cool is the fact that we're just going to these places and we're just doing our own paranormal stuff. And I'm like, this is what I always dreamed about as right? a teenager, man. And here, and I'm like, I've been at the fucking Borden house. I've been inside Danvers State Hospital. I've been. That's it right now. You're like, that's, that's, that's all I got. <laughs> But yeah, that was so Salem, neat. I mean, that whole area is just like a huge powerhouse for hauntings. So, like, kids, you want to go to Disneyland? No, we want to go to haunted places! Like, I would was, be like, that I was me as a child. Right. <laughs> that was me as a child, totally. All right, guys, well, we will see you next week for Carl Panzram. Hope you have a fantastic week, and remember to not to fuck with the original. All of our uh, social media stuff. You forget this every I time. I do it every time. You know what? It's, it's just okay. because my brain. By the time we're done, my brain's like. <laughs> just. Okay! <clears throat> I did get the email right. You totally did. I got the email right. Guys, if you don't know by now, we're literally don't fuck with the original everywhere. <laughs> don't fuck with everywhere. Um, okay, so, so anyway, bye. No, so. <laughs> So social media, we are on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Don't Fuck With The Original. Uh, the Twitter handle is DFWTO8811. We're on Podbean, CastBox, Podcast Player, and um, Spotify. Spotify. And we're also on Podcast Addicts, which I keep forgetting about, but that's apparently connected to Podbean somehow. So we are on that, um, which is amazing because I actually just checked today. We have hit over 7,200 listens now so it's 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 amazing i'm just humbled i'm very humbled by it um but yeah that's all of us all of our social media give us a follow give us a subscribe comment or anything you would like to do send emails and send emails to dfwto8493 at gmail.com yay we're done (laughs) see us come back next week for coral Coral, coral. Not that coral. This is a horrible coral. This is a horrible coral. Poor coral.